0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different. And on this episode, two mission-driven Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, Arissa Amano and Bob Ramika. Arissa is the CEO, and Bob is the CTO of a hot startup called Internal.io. Uh, they're backed by some of the top venture capitalists in the world, including my buddy David Sachs at Craft Ventures and they are on a mission to change internal systems and productivity, and we have a real conversation about how technology can positively change the way work gets done, uh, why it's so important to protect customer data, and why building internal consoles has historically been so hard and what they're doing about it. And we dig into how they are building both their company and their relationship. The two of them have worked together multiple times. Um, and they have a very, uh, I would call it, interesting and powerful relationship amongst two founders. We talk about why it's cool to disagree, how they've built trust over time, and listen closely for their thoughts on how to deal with what they call responsible hyper growth, and a whole lot more. Go to Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com to check out the show notes and key takeaways for this episode. Now, as you know, or as you may know, uh, I've been an advisor and a board director uh, to over 50 Silicon Valley venture backed startups. And one thing I know is that if you wanna attract top tier investors, board members, and advisors, you've gotta be on top of your numbers. And in critical times, reviewing your numbers and staying on top of your numbers with your board and your advisors is also critical. And this is where my friends at NetSuite from Oracle come in. NetSuite is a complete business management system in the cloud. As a matter of fact, Netsuite is number one in cloud ERP, and Netsuite Netsuite helps you capture and monetize the critical accounting and operational data and metrics in your business, giving you a full picture of where you stand in your finances in one place in real time from the cloud, and that means you can access it from your phone, your desktop, or anywhere you are. Netsuite is the platform for growth, and frankly, it's the platform for uh, being an effective leader and manager to schedule your. Your free demo right now and to receive your free guide the seven key strategies to grow your profits visit netsuite.com different that's netsuite.com different to set up your free demo and get your free guide today And if you read my most recent article written uh, with the legendary Eddie Yoon in Harvard Business Review, uh, you know that we believe that building a data flywheel is critical for building a category-leading company. And that's where my friends at Splunk come in. Splunk is the leader in data to everything. They help you bring data to every question, every decision, and every action often in real time. Visit splunk.com slash D2E, as in data to everything. That's splunk, S-P-L-U-N-K dot com slash D2E, and learn how to turn data into doing. Now, hey-ho, let's go.
1: We met at Yammer and, um, you know, we went to Zenefits together. Then uh, we actually started another company together called Harbor, uh, which is a um, blockchain company. Then we started internal. And um, the the reason why we started internal um, is because uh, we realized at our previous company that we had built these uh, set of internal tools um, that were necessary to operate our business. And we actually had built uh, the same or similar set of tools um, at Zenefits. And we also built similar sets of tools at um, Yammer as well. Um, And that's sort of when the light bulb went off where we realized, hey, why have we continued to build these types of internal tools over and over and over again? And that's why we started the company.
0: And obviously, that's where the name internal comes from because you were building internal tools. Exactly. (laughs) And so, what's the big insight? What's the big problem? The the aha that you said we need to make this, we need to productize this internal thing we've been doing.
2: When Arisa and I were at Harbor, we realized like um, we'd built this console internally, and then we looked back at like every other company that we'd ever been at, and we realized we'd built internal tools at every single one, and we started thinking about like, well, what would you do? I mean, what would be a good console? Um, And why do they get so bad? And the reality is, they're always bad because you're always sort of trying to determine where to allocate engineering resources. And you always want to allocate them on your core product, because that's vital to your business. It's what you need to, Mm -hmm. to build in order to survive. But these internal tools are necessary. So what happens is, you always go with sort of this lowest common denominator approach to building them. you usually just slap them together and so you wind up with like you know something that's inherently insecure um, you know you're giving way too much uh, customer information to too many employees throughout your organization um, so you're you're subject to access abuse. the UX is always terrible. Um, we talked to one person that basically described them you know, as DOS and this is just common across all the consoles you know it's, it, it's even like you know people build features and then they train people not to use them because if you use them, then downstream effects occur that that would that would mess up your system so um, we realize like there is a problem here that needs to be solved, and because we'd built so many of these before, we feel like we have that solution to to sort of um, build one console so people don't have to build it again
0: and what is an internal console what what does it do? Why would I use it?
1: So the internal console is a set of tools um, that companies need to operate their business so depending on the company it's it's different so let's take uber for example right so uber their primary product is this app that people like us use to um, get from one place to another but behind the scenes what's happening is that you know there are customer support teams there are operations teams that are Uh, figuring out uh, issues for customers. Let's say a customer had an issue with a ride, or maybe um, somebody needed a refund, or um, you needed to, um, you know, a new driver was applying to become a driver at Uber, and you needed to review um, the documents that um, they submitted, maybe their driver's license and their, their history in order to approve them. There are all these different types of Tasks um, and work that gets done behind the scenes to ultimately deliver the service to the end customer. And in order to be able to do those tasks, you need access to tools, these sort of back end, like internal tools that allow you to have access to the data um, that's behind the app. So, um, again, as an example, let's say a customer support person at Uber gets an inquiry saying, Hey, there was an issue with my ride. Well, Where are they going to first find out what ride is this user talking about? Uh, Where was it? You know, where did the ride start? Where did the ride end? Um, And, you know, how much did they pay? Who was the driver? Has the driver had any issues in the past? All those things are, you know, living inside your company's database. And so companies build tools to allow, you know, these uh, customer support people or operations people to access and manipulate the data um, in order to do what they need to get done. Um, And uh, so that's kind of an example of a a console or an internal admin tool.
0: And historically, uh, I mean, you tell me, but, you know, I spent the better part of 30 years in enterprise tech. If the data and information is inside one database or one application, you know, maybe there's a dashboard or maybe it's part of the app, you know, so I can look at a trouble ticket in the case of a customer service issue or something along those lines. But the problem gets to be uh, difficult when we need to pull together information from multiple apps, multiple data sources. Um, And of course, today we have the cloud, and so we have these hybrid environments where some databases are on-site and some are in the cloud and here, there, and everywhere. And so I got to imagine part of what you're addressing is this sort of cross-database, cross-application functionality. Uh, Am I getting that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So your data lives in many different places. Primarily, your um, like the source of truth is in your database that your application interfaces with, but of course you have you know, that lives in like Salesforce or Google Sheets. And you know, for example, um, you know when I was at Zenefits, um, I was running a big team, and we would have implementation people. Uh, you know, we had our in- internal console which everybody used, you know, to do their job, but it was never really um, enough. So people were storing you know checklists on in Google Sheets, and I was trying to get people to stop using Google Sheets because I thought that should really be functionality that's built into our application. but the reality is, is that engineering was always behind, and so we could never keep up so uh, One of the things that we've done is allowed people to connect you know their core application database with something like Google Sheets. So internal actually works really well in that environment because you can take all these different databases and then combine them together into sort of like one super record of customer information.
0: Tell me how you want me to think about this, but it sounds like, feels like to me, you're sort of a new layer that sits on top of a traditional app functionality, traditional uh, reporting, traditional dashboarding, or maybe even some analytics, you tell me. Um, But essentially... At, at the front end, you're a new layer sitting on top of a bunch of things. Is that is that how you want us to think about it?
1: It's also to replace the um, internal tools that companies today build on their own. So you mentioned that you know, in the case of a company who has, let's say, a single database, and they've built, a, built they've built an app, and let's say they've built a dashboard for their internal employees. That dashboard, it's actually most in most companies. That dashboard is a separate app that you end up building. And it's much more robust than just a simple dashboard. Um, it allows you to edit stuff, um, look at information about a customer, complete certain tasks, um, all the things that you need to be able to do to service the customer is actually built into that app. And you know, one of the key problems is that, you know, companies are building the separate, you know, internal tools like application even though they, their, their core product is separate. Like, so Uber is, you know, building their, their app, right? The, their service that they're providing to their customers. But they're also building all these different internal tools, um, their, their console. Um, and what happens when you do that is you end up trying to reduce the number of uh, engineers that are working on your internal side of the app. And, you know, as a result, you get things like the, the app is, Uh, hard to use. The app does not have the proper permissions in place to control the access. The app is maybe partially broken. Um, And, you know, there's there's a lot of different issues because it's not a, a core focus of the company, even though it is critical to the company, you know, you're still going to end up prioritizing your engineering resources on your, you know.
0: All the technology resources we have, we put on, customer facing or exactly. maybe in some cases supplier facing. But you know, apps and things that we're doing internally that are that are sort of hardcore to the business, this is more of a support function. So if it looks like shit and barely works, well, so what?
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: You usually put the intern on this thing, you know? And so that's why it looks the way it does. And the other thing too is you never get like product manager support on this stuff. So, like, I've seen consoles where, like, you have, like, calls to action in the middle of a form that just really make no sense. It's, it's just, it's usually like a Frankenstein situation. <laughs> yes.
1: I mean, what happens normally is you start off, maybe you're, you know, early stages of your company. You hack together a tool that's, like, good enough. You know, you maybe only have five to ten people in your company anyway, so this will do for now. And then, as your company, you know, grows, and as you have more customers, and you start building out your products, so you have more features, you end up, you know, duct taping together a bunch of new features onto this, you know, internal tool that you you started off with, and then it, it grows and grows and grows and turns into this monster. Um, and that's that's kind of usually what happens.
2: The other thing that kind of happens too is like you'd expect that at a certain size. You know, companies would fix this problem, but it's so expensive that it's not obvious whether or not you should invest in it. And so, you know, you've seen like these these data leaks from like Uber, Facebook. Um, I think uh, Lyft had one too. It's basically you think that these companies have the resources to to sort of fix this problem, but they don't. Yeah. And so it's like this it's this thing that nobody talks about in Silicon Valley <laughs> that you know all these employees have access to information.
0: And so I'm curious, what is it about this that compels you guys um, to go solve this problem? You know, my, my friend and sometime collaborator, Eddie Yoon, the legendary Eddie Yoon says, he, he makes this distinction between missionaries and mercenaries. And so why is this a mission that that matters to the two of you?
1: I think there's a, there's a, you know, number of reasons why this, this matters. Um, you know, first, you know, data, data privacy is a really big issue. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a, Topic that comes up constantly, Um, and you know, we're seeing as as Bob mentioned that even the the biggest tech companies cannot get data privacy right. Um, And uh, we believe that you know, internal tools is something that hasn't really been like focused on a lot when it comes to data privacy. But it is the primary way that all employees have access to um, very sensitive customer data. Um, So fixing that problem is really critical. Another reason is because, you know, Bob and I have been at these companies where we've been frustrated not being able to put the amount of resources that are necessary to build these tools right. And we've always had to make these trade-offs because, you know, you know um, I was running product at Zenefits, for example, and, and Bob, you know, was VP of engineering there. And we're, you know, getting all these demands to say, okay. Customers need all these different features. We need to build this new you know, uh, feature, these new, new apps uh, that are all customer-facing. But also, we know that operations teams are struggling, and you know, we need better tools to ultimately service the customers better. And we've you know, had to make really hard trade-offs to say, well, where do we allocate our resources, right? We're, we're constantly sort of being pulled into both directions, and that's been frustrating.
0: And I'm curious why you guys think this is a big new category that you could create and design and and why you think you could build a big, successful, hopefully, a uh, company that creates enduring value in this category. I think people,
2: you know, in a few years will look back and say, I can't believe we used to build our own internal internal tools. Just if you look at the problems that we've outlined, you know, with data privacy, it's it's actually like kind of irresponsible if you think about it, to be doing this yourself, because you're really not going to do it right. I mean, early stage startup is definitely not. And that's okay. I mean, it makes sense. They're, you know, they're, they're building the core product. So, you know, that's vital to them succeeding. But we think that there's this new category of software where you're going to get a lot of out of the box value by using a console that's set up for you, that follows the patterns that we've seen at every other console. Um, and from there, you can customize. And so that's sort of like how we're thinking about
0: this. So, so you really feel like it's a greenfield opportunity in the enterprise. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm curious. The two of you have worked together for a very long time, uh, sort of as what I don't know. Maybe you could call entrepreneurial leaders in in very early stage entrepreneurial companies, y- Yammer and if It's great examples, of course. And now you're serial entrepreneurs together. But the two of you have had a long standing. Uh, how long have you been working together in one form or fashion? At least seven years,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. I seven so. or eight? Yeah.
0: And so, what is it that draws the two of you together to keep doing this as serial collaborators and entrepreneurs and company and category and technology builders? I'll let Arisa go with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, Bob and I. Over the course of, I guess it's it's been seven seven or so years. Um, you know, I've learned a lot about each other, and the key thing is that we communicate well, or and we are willing to communicate and talk things through. Um, we may not always agree on things, and that's actually better if we don't agree on things. If if we have you know the same perspective on everything that we do, it's sort of a problem. But uh, when we do disagree, you know, we are able to sit down. Talk through how Bob's thinking about things, how I'm thinking about things, how we're feeling about things, yeah. and ultimately, you know, work it out. And I think that that's that's been the um, you know biggest you know reason why I really enjoy um, working with Bob. There's like definitely a trusting relationship. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. There's also like this weird mind meld thing that's been happening lately, where like I don't have to, like, I know how Arisa is going to think about a certain problem or I know what concerns she might have. Like, I've actually heard you on your podcast before talk about two in a box, Chris. And uh, I think for a while we were doing that. And, and now we've sort of gotten to this point where I trust Arisa hundred percent. So if she's going to go off and do something, I know it's going to be, I know it's going to be done right. Yeah. And I know it's going to probably be exactly what I thought it would be.
0: <laughs> you know, there's been so much talk over the last several years about women in tech, women in entrepreneurship, men and women working together, obviously Me Too, all that stuff. And here you are, a man and a woman working together in a very deep, c- committed entrepreneurial business relationship. And so, you know, maybe sort of pop the hood on your thinking about that.
2: It is a relationship that goes beyond just like, you'd think of colleagues. You know, I mean, every so- I we talk about personal things. And I think that that sort of stuff is really important um, because there's, there's this context, right? Like, like nobody wakes up in the morning and goes like, I'm going to be you know, a jerk today, right? Like nobody does that. But you know, for whatever reason, maybe I'm a jerk that day. And I think that in order for us to have the relationship that we do and be able to work with each other as long as we have, like, we really have worked hard to understand each other's context. So it's like a very deep friendship as well as um, a very I guess productive
0: working relationship, if that makes sense. But men and women aren't supposed to be a little work together this way. <laughs> 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 right?
1: Yeah, well maybe, maybe um and some some can. Some can. And and you know, I think for me personally as well, I mean being a, a, a woman in, in tech, also being you know an Asian female in, in tech, I've had you know, historically challenges, um, you know, throughout my career. And I've been very fortunate enough to have had um, mentors and colleagues that have been uh, supportive throughout. And Bob is certainly um, one of those people. Um, And, you know, if I ever go into a meeting and if I you know, felt like there was, you know, maybe it was like a meeting with a VC or, you know, some, some somebody else. Um, and I felt like maybe I wasn't being treated fairly or um, viewed fairly. You know, I, I can always talk to Bob about it and he's been super supportive. And um, that that's, I guess, also one of the the great things about working with them.
0: I love that, guys. You guys are so adorable. <laughs> I love
1: it.
0: It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, look, look, I know some people think I'm corny about some of these things, but I don't give a shit. I, I think it's inspiring um, to hear you guys talk, and the, the, I, I I can hear the genuine affection. And we are human beings, right? We're not robots, yeah. And we do have to have mutual respect. And and I've always thought work was personal, and I can and I can hear that in your voices. Now I'm also curious. You know, you're the CEO, so historically. A, we didn't see a lot of uh, co-founder partnerships between men and women. I mean, there's some, of course, but it's not exactly every day. And B, often when you do, it's the guy that's in the CEO spot and the gal mm-hmm. that's in some other spot. And of course, uh, you are the CEO. So I'm curious how you guys thought about that. Who should be the CEO, and or was it even something you discussed? Or sort of how, how do you get to your roles and sort of the 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 distribution, if you will, of responsibilities and who's going to tackle what.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we did have you um, know uh, uh, quite a bit of discussions uh, when it came to who was going to take what role. Um, I would say um, with confidence that there was not even a you know little bit of discussion about you know who are we? Are we you know I, I'm like a woman. He's he's a man. Like it, how should we divide our roles in that way? There was like not even a hint of that. Of course, it was just two colleagues trying to figure out, you know, what is best for the company, what are our strengths, um, and then we ultimately made that decision. And, um, you know, I think that what we discussed was Bob, his, you know, core superpower is really on the, um, you know, technical, he's the engineering leader and the technical side, and we are building a product that is very technical and very complex. And so um, it was really important for the company that he can focus on those aspects of the business. And, uh, you know, for me, I have uh, a mixture of experience from product management to, you know, design to uh, marketing and like the go-to-market side. So it it made sense um, ultimately for us to um, divide and conquer in that way.
0: Now, I'm curious also, the two of you together have been involved with some very big successes and some we made up a word around here to make it sound better than it is. If this word's too harsh for you. Tell me, but we call it losery to make sort of failure sound more fun than it is. But uh-huh. uh, there were some very serious bumps in the road at some uh, companies that you've been involved with. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious now as sort of uh, you, the two of you have earned your stripes as kind of entrepreneurial leaders and entrepreneurs. You know, what are the big learnings that you take from both the, the speed bumps along the way and the successes that, that sort of maybe, maybe you wish you'd known at the start.
2: So I'm going to go with, um, I feel like we're still hungry. Uh, by the way, I I don't feel like we've made it or anything. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we're looking for another big success with internal. So, and in fact, like, I think one of the things that, that drives at least me is fear of failure. We don't want to fail, but, um, I'll just rewind, you know, I, um, again, I started like programming in 1999 and, um, it took probably, you know, 10 years for our first success, you know, my first success with Yammer. And maybe it was even longer than that. And so, you know, going around different startups was good. Um, you know, I learned a lot. And then at Yammer, we learned, I learned what, what it looked like to, you know, be successful and what a company looked like um, that was creating a category and, um, sort of how, how a successful startup worked. Right. After that, you know, we did the hyper growth thing again. You know, I think at the end of the day, I learned a lot from, from Zenefits and, um, you know, I, I learned, um, I think what I kind of call this like responsible hyper, hyper growth. I think what we did at Zenefits is we, we grew, you know, probably a little too fast, but I'm, Taking that context and, and all the learning along the way was, I think, necessary for us to get to this point, right? Which is with internal, we we spun out of Harbor, right? So without uh, without Harbor, we wouldn't have internal, probably. I don't know if that if those situations were really bad. It's just sort of an evolution to where we are now. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally. And it, it's you know it's something that often doesn't get talked about when you read the Fortune magazine story. Everything looks sort of very up and to the right because we sort of. Yeah. engineer history to look sort of the way we want. Or maybe some of us forget, right? But, and that's why one of my favorite expressions of all time is you can't be a legend without being a loser, right? And, and, and that pain of losing certainly motivates us to not do that again. I think we, we learn a ton from it. And, and in specific, Bob, I'm curious, you know, we hear a lot about quote unquote blitz scaling. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it is clear that when a new market Category opens up, and there's tremendous demand where there wasn't any or there was very little um, shortly there before. That you have to scale into that demand because if you don't, you open the door for competitors. And so, I'm not naive. I understand why sometimes we have to jam our foot through the throttle. But at the same time, to your point, uh, over blitz scaling can cause this sort of scaffolding of the company to to shake and, and, and maybe break. And so, having been through hyperscale and and so how do you think about what's too much growth and how do you trade off growing but not seeding too much of the category opportunity to the competition.
2: You know, I, I I don't know if there's a a hard and fast rule. I think like what we've been talking about a lot actually internally and internal is sort of like there's certain risks that we can take, but you can also hedge a little bit. You don't have to put all your eggs in one basket all the time. I think it's easy to lose sight of that when you're when you're going through blitz scaling or hyper, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think it's important to always take a step back, get out of the weeds for a minute, and look at the big picture. Make sure you're not burning too much, but you know, you also have to take risks. So I think it's a, actually I think it's a little bit more of an art form than it is um, a science.
1: I think um, one of the Really important things with hyper growth is also focus, right so when I think about you know Zenefits and the internal tool space that we're in right now, if Zenefits, for example could did not have to build the internal tools um, that were supporting the entire company um, instead could focus all of their energy on customer facing tools that would have allowed them to move better and faster, but they had to do everything. I mean, they they try to do everything. Um, We try to do everything. And um, when you're not focused, when you're trying to really grow fast and gain customers, that starts to create issues, right? Because then you're doing everything sort of half-baked and, um, you know, eventually the the wheels on the, you know, wagons start falling off.
0: Now, another thing I'm curious to speak with both of you about is you have worked with uh, our mutual friend, a guy we admire, I think all admire deeply, uh, David Sachs, in, in, in multiple ways and in multiple configurations. You worked for him at one point. Mm-hmm. And now um, I believe uh, Sachs is, is your lead investor. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And so it sort of says a lot about what you think of him And a lot about what he thinks of you, that you have worked together multiple times in multiple incarnations at multiple places. Um, And so we hear a lot today in business about mentorship. And you guys have had this kind of relationship with David over quite some time. And I'd be curious how you think about that relationship and the evolution of your relationship.
1: Yeah, um, I think our our relationships and, and Bob may have a slightly different take on this it has evolved significantly over the course of the last seven years. You know, we worked, I worked for him at Yammer. Um, Then when he went to Zenefits, you know, Bob and I went to Zenefits. Um, Then we started Harbor and David was the founding chairman of that company. And now at Internal, he um, is the lead investor. And so, you know, started off really being like a reporting sort of structure, learning a lot from him as a, you know, him being um, our leader. And we learned a lot about how to build product, how to think about go to market, how to think about messaging and, you know, learn by seeing um, and watching what he did um, and the feedback that he was giving us. And I, I would say, you know, since then, the the relationship has definitely uh, evolved. Um, today, um, I think, you know, I see him very much as uh, both board member, but also just as a as a mentor to us, um, you know, somebody that is really focused on helping us think through things, but also just like helping us grow as individuals um, and as leaders of this company.
0: I'm also curious how you now think about being leaders and mentors because clearly you are and clearly you lead a team and you mentor others in one way or another. And so, you know, one of the things I love about the sort of, if you'll allow me, the sort of the jargon, the startup ecosystem that we all mm-hmm. live in, is there is this sort of continuum, right?
1: Yes. Where
0: we try to uh, stand on the shoulders of giants, some of which we know, some of which maybe we read about or hear about on podcasts or whatever it is. But then your leaders leading a team and mentoring others, and so I'm curious how you think about this that whole cycle of of now your leadership and mentorship of others.
1: You know, one of the things that we, we do um, that I think we learned, um, you know, from David um, is um, bringing people along with us, right? Um, and so as, just as David um, brought us from, you know, Yammer, for example, to Zenefits, um, today at Internal... You know, a lot of our employees that that work for us, um, we've worked with them for at two or three companies now, um, and you know we've brought them um, into uh, new roles and new opportunities and I think that you know that's something that uh, we'd like to continue uh, to do.
2: I kind of feel like it's um like we have like a responsibility to, <laughs> to actually um, help you know other people that have become founders. you know this is now our second time doing this. So, you know, when you start out, you like don't have a playbook, right? And actually, there's like, there was a small window of a period where I had started a company prior to Harbor and raised money and given the money back before I started Harbor with Arisa and David. But at that time, you just, you know, we didn't have a playbook for what does your cap table look like? How much money should you raise? How much burn should you, you know, how much cash reserve should you have? Before you need to raise again, how long does it take to raise? Like these are all things that now we've gone through that I feel like we can actually you know help. There have been times when people come and talk to me about you know how to start a company or they're starting a company and they they need advice, and I'm 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 like not only happy to give that advice, I I also feel like it's a responsibility to do so.
0: Yeah, I, I admire you guys for that. I feel very similarly. I uh, a huge part of my motivation in life to, today is to try to make a difference for entrepreneurs and and mm-hmm. entrepreneurial people. Now, I'm also curious. You know, I hear this from people about their careers where, uh, when they've worked with people and they're at a certain place and stage in their career when they start, and then you fast forward and you've grown yourself and your skills and so forth, and you want to be viewed for who you are today, not who you were, but they knew you for who you were. So they think of you as that up and coming developer or that hot shit product manager or whatever you were back then. But today, you're co-founders and you're raising money and you're trying to build this new value and you're, and yet people could pigeonhole you because they met you back then. And it seems like the two of you have done an interesting job of sort of having people see you in a new light as you grow. But that's just my perception. I'm curious how you think about it, what your experience has been.
2: I I think that's definitely true. I mean, basically that, that, that happens. And, um, I think I've grown a lot since, uh, you know, since we even, uh, we're at Yammer. And so, and I personally have grown a lot and um, we're off doing like things that um, we wouldn't have thought about doing at that time. Right. And, um, you know, the same applies to other people that I've worked with in my career. And I think I, I've changed my thinking about how to, I guess, judge people. I, mean, I don't like, you know, I am much more open to people, you know, at different stages of their career uh, because it, it's all about timing, right? You want to find people that are that are at the peak of their career when they work for you right and so i think people evolve over the years right and so i'm just really open to like maybe somebody wasn't good 7 years ago or you know maybe they needed improvement maybe they're just junior you know and then 7 years later they're like c level executive at you know x company it happens you know everybody everybody grows up and you know it, you, if you just look at our networks you know like The people that have that started out as that individual contributor at Yammer or or Zenefits have now grown to director or VP or even C level at you know XYZ company. So I am just when I when I think about people, I think about where they are in their career and they can grow, and that's totally cool. So how's that?
0: I think it's a very, very healthy perspective because, uh, you know, as they say in martial arts, we all walk into the dojo as a white belt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's totally right.
0: Well, thank you both for the gift of your time. And uh, uh, thank you for being incredibly inspiring entrepreneurs. And uh, I wish you um, a ton of success in building a legendary business and a personal level, personal success and giant tax problems. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks this is thank a lot of fun thank you yeah, thank you
0: both very much stay legendary my friends
2: bye, All right,
0: bye. well there they are Arissa and Bob I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I liked having it thank you for spending time with us and we would like to thank Arissa and Bob themselves thank you so much folks if you want to learn more about their company you can at internal.io internal.io uh, the good folks at one life fully live dot org helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. The number one life fully live org. Now, are you a thought leader? Are you looking to get your leading thoughts on some leading podcasts? Uh, visit my friends at interviewvalet.com. they are the leaders in podcast interview marketing and they will help you get on podcasts market that you are on podcasts and turn podcast listeners into your customers check out interviewvalet.com and uh, growwire.com it's what growth oriented innovation oriented people are reading on the internet today visit growwire.com and is it time to scale you if so my friends at bottleneck virtual Assistance are there to help visit bottleneck dot online today that's bottleneck virtual Assistance at bottleneck dot online and i um, also want to point you to one of my favorite podcasts it's called cloud wars live with my friend bob evans i am a regular guest and uh, we talk about all things tech and all things different uh, wherever you get legendary podcasts check out cloud wars live and my friends at AutryNet have been building legendary websites in silicon valley for over 25 years check out N E T today and if you care about the ocean and you care about our coastlines our friends at savethewaves.org are there to make a difference and you can make a difference by visiting savethewaves.org today all right i need to remind you that this podcast is a sole property of the lockhead podcast network and uh, we would like to remind you to share podcasts not viruses uh, we are produced and edited by living podcast legend, Jason DeFilippo. Uh Sarah Knox and Jamie J handle all technical execution and Lockhead.com. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Uh, remember to teach social distancing. Uh, start or join a company worthy of your talent. Uh, listen to Katie Lang. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes, CEO of Theranos. Sorry, Lizzie. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.